Oh, there's no question that the very fact that young women have the same opportunity in college, that they have a chance to play sports because of Title IX, that they have the right to terminate a pregnancy that doesn't make sense in their life or for the life of a child, the fact that we have equal opportunity in the workplace, all those things would never have happened if those of us who were participants of the women's movement had not been there and fought so hard. Turning outrage into outcomes. This is the Texas Blue Action Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Texas Blue Action Podcast. I am Lana Hansen, the Executive Director of Texas Blue Action Democrats. And today I am here with Texas House of Representative um, Representative Aaron Zwiener, and I am so thrilled to be able to have a conversation with you, Representative Zwiener. I mean, I have to tell this story just to start this off, that that you first landed on my radar. I went to an event right after you and Representative Tallarico and um, Representative Busey had been elected, and you were all speaking at the Capitol. I think it was like you know, new representatives or younger. I mean, it was been years ago now. And and your daughter was just a little tiny infant, like not even crawling. And I remember watching, um, you know, Representative Tallarico and Busey kind of pass her around and watch her so that you could talk at the program. And I was just so impressed by all of it as a mother at the time whose daughter was a toddler. You know, I just thought this is exactly what we need. This is the kind of representation we need to see from women in politics, that we can be mothers and we can stand up and represent our communities and, and do all these things. And you've handled it with such grace. So I, I want to thank you for that because you're an incredible role model. But I would first like to discuss what was it that inspired you to run and, and inspired you to do it while you were pregnant? Well, first of all, I, I was not pregnant when I started running. <laughs> um, I... I started getting curious about running and and sort of looking around in February 2017, which was um, quite early for a lot of folks to be thinking about the cycle in 2018. Now, folks in Texas have to think about it early. We have the earliest filing deadline in the nation because we have the earliest primary for our our state level offices and our congressional offices in the nation. You know, you always hear about how Iowa and New Hampshire are first. They do their state legislative and congressional primaries months later. Texas does ours in March, which is the earliest in the nation. The good thing about it is it lets us avoid block walking in the heat of the summer. But but the bad thing is you have to file to run by December, the year before the election. So you're running a solid 11 months. Uh, but I think what made so many of us successful in 2018 is a bunch of us got out there quickly. Um, so I got curious and interested in, in March 2017. Uh, you know, I was pretty fresh out of grad school, had come back home to Texas uh, and knew I wanted to help turn Texas blue. Uh, in fact, I'd been a lead organizer for the Electoral College demonstration at the Texas Capitol, where a few thousand people showed up and begged our electors to vote for anybody not named Donald J. Trump. Uh, as we all know, they did not listen. But uh, what was really powerful for me about that day is the entire nation watched and waited for the Texas electors to vote. Because we in Texas with 38 electors, and now we have 40, y'all, um, had enough people to deny Donald Trump the presidency single-handedly. If all of the Texas electors had voted for I don't know. One of the names talked about was Colin Powell. You know, that vote would have gone to the House of Representatives instead of being decided in the Electoral College. Um, so 
Texas held the fate of the nation in its hands. And, and that's the sort of fundamental truth underneath organizing in Texas. As goes Texas, goes the nation. We have right. the power to shift everything about our national politics. The moment Texas not only becomes a true swing state, because we are, y'all, we are a swing state, uh, but the moment the world believes that we are, all of national politics starts to revolve around us because Republicans don't have a path to the presidency without Texas. If they lose us, we're going to see a complete realigning of political coalitions. For decades, for decades to come. I mean, I I feel like this, and not to interrupt you, I, but you're just speaking my love language right now in that when we saw so many people on September 1st that were so frustrated by SB8 and all of these other egregious bills that went into law, um, you know, there was this national rhetoric that was like, oh, let Texas succeed or, or like screw Texans. Like this is what they get for voting these people in, ignoring all of the um, issues that we have through gerrymandering and voter suppression. And, and my thought, you know, like I just want to scream at the, to the rooftops to these people. No, you need to double down on us because we have real political power. And if we flip this state, you know, we are going to be you know, we're going to change politics nationwide as it's known right now. Yes, no, and absolutely. And so I left from that Electoral College event and just went, I have to be a part of turning Texas blue. I have to be a part of that. And I didn't quite know what that was going to look like, um, but I got involved with uh, my local Indivisible chapter and started organizing, put on a town hall for my U.S. representative, Roger Williams, uh, he did not attend, but a cardboard cutout of him did. Um, and at some point I looked up and the legislative session was going on and I realized I had a representative who I really didn't like, uh, who wouldn't say what he believed on Senate Bill 4, the show me your papers bill, um, or Senate Bill 6, the bathroom bill, uh, and started looking at the numbers. And I realized Trump had only won that district uh, by four and a half percent. And I'm like, that's that's within striking range. And so I I got intrigued by it, started looking into it and started looking around to see who was running against him so I could help them. And in that process, right. I learned that no Democrat had run against, uh, this was Jason Isaac, since 2012. Uh, and so I got, started to go, oh, shoot, maybe I need to do this. So then fast forward, I'm on Jason Isaac's Facebook. I am asking him what his stance is on SB4. Mm -hmm. I had been sort of routinely asking him about SB4, the show me your papers bill, and SB6, the bathroom bill. And one evening, and he wouldn't respond. So I just kept very politely saying, what's your stance on these? And one night he, um, I don't know, was, I don't know what was going on, but he decided to engage and he called me a troll and he insulted me. And told me I could call his office to get his position on the bill. So I called his office on Monday. They told me he didn't have a position on the bill. And I said, that's funny. He told me to call y'all to get it. Um, and his staff ended up being rude to me eventually. <laughs> um, and then so I went back to his Facebook on his next post and said, hey, what's your stance on SB4? Uh, and he blocked me. And I just went, this is not how an elected official is supposed to behave. Um, and I started talking to my friends, being like, will y'all help me if I run? I got an overwhelmingly supportive response from friends. Right. There are so many elected officials who unfortunately are blatantly rude to their own constituents who are just seeking their opinions. 
and, and I won't lie, you know, sitting in this seat now, um, it, it can be tough to get feedback from your constituents that doesn't line up with your positions. Uh, but we as leaders have a responsibility to maintain some grace uh, and some kindness and some, uh, what's the word I would say, but, but just some decency towards the people we represent. You know, that that's a responsibility of elected officials to um, be polite at the very least to their constituents, even if they are in um, fervent disagreement with them. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, that we even butt up against situations where you can't even get a hold of your uh, representative. Uh, one of the things that I'm really curious about was what were some of the real barriers you came up against when you started talking with voters and, and, and decided to take the leap and, and throw your hat in the ring? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of barriers to run for office. And quite frankly, the first one is there's a certain um, class of people sort of in politics who basically try to talk you out of it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a funny, um, it's a funny process, but it's sort of this like, are you really serious? And let's try and scare you by telling you how much it'll cost and how much time it'll take and what it'll mean for your other career. And so that was one of the first things I encountered was folks kind of being like, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, And so I I ran that gauntlet and started just trying to learn. One of the first things I did was go to, um, sorry, if y'all can hear my toddler in the background. It's okay. Don't be surprised if you hear a child or a dog bark in the background here. No water on the plants right now. Um, why don't you go on your slide? Uh, sorry, y'all. <laughs> um, but no, one, one of the first things I did was a training with the Progressive Democrats of America, the Central Texas chapter. Uh, they did a training where they brought in a bunch of people who'd run for office and gave some overviews. I want to say one of the people who participated in that was actually Representative Donna Howard, who gave some really great advice about sort of how to brand yourself in a succinct way that voters can connect to. Um, And I kept looking for other opportunities to kind of get experience and learn. And then the other thing I did, and this is actually the biggest piece of advice I have for anyone who is interested in running for office or just being involved in politics more, I found candidates I liked and I went and helped them. Mm -hmm. So we had a city council candidate running in Dripping Springs and another one in Wimberley um, who I liked. And I went and gave them a hand with their campaigns and block walked with them. And that was sort of giving me a taste of what this space would look like. Um, I also started getting very involved with my county party and working with some of the precinct chairs. We have a fantastic precinct chair, um, Sharon Reed Miller out of San Marcos, who was just a block walking evangelist is how I would describe her. And she got most of the party excited about block walking. And Mm -hmm. so she was coordinating voter registration drives and I would go out with her frequently Um, and sort of get a taste for what the work looked like and what the capacity was on the ground. And that block walking work is so important for a couple reasons. One is, you know, that's how you, it's it's the best way to find people. You have to meet people where they are. Um, You know, a lot of people set at meeting greets, whatnot. I mean, there's a place for those, but the vast majority of people you need to talk to aren't going to come to you. You have to go to them. Um, The second thing that's so valuable about it is you hear from people what's important to them. And some of the things are really predictable and common across districts. Um, mm-hmm. Things like healthcare and education and property taxes are things you'll hear about almost anywhere in the state of Texas. Um, but you know, learning about more local issues, like there's a neighborhood in my neck of the woods that pays absolutely unreasonable propane rates sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, or hearing how much local control issues came up again and again and again, because so much of the development in Hayes County is outside of city limits. And so people 
never know what's going to pop up next door to them because there's no zoning. Those are concerns I was able to learn about directly on the ground from talking directly to people. Um, and so I sort of started to cut my teeth. And the other thing that was really important for me um, as a candidate is that that helped me prove myself. It helped me prove to the party base and the folks who were already doing the work that I was willing to do the work too, which was so critical in, in such a tough district. And so that, that's my big advice for folks is just go get your feet wet. Don't show up and say, hey, I want the job. I'll do work when I get it. Show up and do the work improve to people that you're invested. And then if you enter into a race, whether you win or lose, you still walk out with credibility and support and more opportunities in the future. Well, and, you know, to that point, you know, because Texas Blue Action, that's, you know, very much what we do is neighborhood organizing. And, and, and you're exactly right that being able to learn from what matters to people at the door is what we need to do in Texas. And in areas particularly like where you live in the exurbs and, and these areas that are growing so quickly, a lot of people are being ignored by the Democratic Party. I mean, in these areas that have been written off as just Republican and red with you know, no opportunity, they're being ignored and, and the voters are there, but we have to connect with them and, and let them know that, that we want to support their values and their issues. Um, and, and that's what's gonna inspire them to get to the polls. And so people like yourself that take canvassing seriously are making a huge difference in your community because they do understand that they're listening to you or that you're listening to them and, and that you really do want to do the work for them. And so, you know, you do live in an area that was once considered sort of rural, but it's one of the fastest growing counties in the United States right now. It is the second fastest growing county in the United second States now. And, okay. and really, it's I the fastest. I think we're at number one for a while, right? Well, we're, we're the fastest growing over 100,000. So a lot of people have just been okay. calling us the fastest growing. The uh, fastest of any size is a little county in North Dakota that I don't know the name of that's primarily booming because of oil and gas. So it's probably oh, not sure. permanent growth. Um, yeah, it, it was when I was working and, you know, we talked to folks, we talked to people who were, you know, quote unquote political experts who would be like, oh, you just need to talk to the people who are already voting, go talk to those moderate Republicans, pull them over. And I said, okay, it's not that we're not talking to them because we did, I did pull over mm -hmm. moderate Republicans. But I said, there's also all these people who haven't been voting because they believe their vote doesn't count. You know, I, I grew up here in Texas, and by the time I turned 18, I knew damn well that my vote didn't matter. And obviously, mm -hmm. that's not actually true, but I grew up believing that. Mm -hmm. And so many Texans do. They just assume that Texas is too big. There are too many votes. It doesn't matter. And so, so much of my race was about talking to these people, a lot of folks who are young families in, in middle-class neighborhoods that we're moving out here because they couldn't afford to live in Austin, talking to them and saying, no, your vote does matter. I need your vote. I am mm -hmm. here. I will fight for you. I will fight for your family. And I can't win without you. And so many people I heard, you're the first person who's ever knocked on my door. That's right. I mean, that story is so true. And I mean, we find when we knock on doors, people will say, well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat or I'm a progressive voter, but I'm the only one in the neighborhood. And we literally just heard that story three doors down. Uh -huh. Right. And it's like, but you're not the only one, you know, I love telling people I actually I went down and block walk through Frank Ramirez and House District 118 oh, a couple weeks ago, and I had that exact conversation with a woman at a door who said, I'm the only Democrat on this street. And I'm like, well, I got five more targets on it. So I think you're wrong. <laughs> Y'all need to be friends. <laughs> like, go talk to this person five doors down. Y'all are going to get along. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. And that story is just so true because so many people are just being left out of the conversation, right? And so many people think they're alone. And so they think, what is the point of me showing up to vote? And when we let them know, you're not alone and it does matter. And, you know, we're all going to get together and do this thing. So, Representative Zwiener, tell me about with the change of your district and so much growth, have you seen a change in the voters, in the demographics? Like, what does that look like for you coming up into 2022? Yeah, so, well, first of all, my district changed a lot in redistricting. My current right. district is all of Hayes, all of Blanco counties. And um, the part that's growing, I mean, all of Hayes County is growing quickly, but the part that's growing so, so fast is the I-35 corridor. Mm-hmm. And we ended up... Um, Hayes County was about um, 45,000 voters over the ideal district size. So we, my district ended up shedding Blanco County and shedding the western part of Hayes. So it's, it's changed a lot. Um, and I'm really glad that we were able to keep those I-35 corridor communities whole because they're really, um, they do have a common interest. San Marcos in particular is a high rental community. About 70% of people rent. And so if they're in different districts within the city, they move and they lose track of who represents them and it becomes another form of voter suppression. Why vote for somebody if you don't even know who your representative is? So I'm really glad it worked out that way, but it's turned out that I, um, it's not a district I can take for granted, but it is a district where I won't be one of the top targets in the state of Texas. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. And I, I can't go into all the details yet because it's not official, but it's going to free up some of my time to work a little more on that overall bigger goal, which is flipping the state of Texas. In Hayes County in 2016, 33,000 people voted for Hillary Clinton. In 2018, 45,000 people voted for Beto. In, um, in 2020, 59,000 people voted for Hillary. So that's a trajectory I really like. Uh, Mm -hmm. the net or the total democratic votes increasing over 80% in four years. Um, Hayes County's growing, but it's not growing that fast. A lot of that's people feeling engaged for the first time. Sure. So, so what we're looking at is, you know, how can we take that model that we put into effect in Hayes and use it in some of the other suburban and rural counties? And so what I want to tell folks is, you know, look for a, (laughs) look for an announcement coming from me soon. And I'll also say that if you're somebody trying to figure out how to get your foot in the door in politics uh, and want to knock on a lot of doors, we're going to have some job opportunities. That's very exciting. And and when that announcement comes out, you just let us know how we can help because uh, we'll be there ready to join forces and help get it done. We'll do. And um, I'm really excited to hear that. I'm really excited to hear that uh, you're not going to be one of the um, biggest targets uh, because you've been an incredible legislator and uh, such an incredible, you know, you've added so much value to progressives in this state and have been so, you know, just inspiring to watch over the last few legislative sessions. And while we're on the legislative sessions, I mean, this one, like, there are no words, right? I mean, it was just like, awful is an understatement the worst it could be um you know it's like they grabbed the pendulum and swang it as far right as they could uh what do you we think passed some means? good broadband legislation you did and james Calarisco with the insulin legislation was amazing yeah. like y'all got some good work done and, and we extended coverage for postpartum women with medicaid to six months instead of six weeks so yes. that's there, there's so some good I, things 
I mean, I do want to say there's there's been a few improvements, but mostly, yes, it was a trash fire. And right. and here's one of the lessons I take for that. You know, I, I've only served two sessions. Well, now I guess I've technically served five, but <laughs> two regular yes. sessions and three specials. <laughs> um, but I think what I really learned, so when we came in in 2019, the Republicans were scared of us. We had just flipped 12 seats and seats like mine we're not supposed to flip. They did not see me coming. We only spent about $70,000 on our general election. And there were a lot of people Googling who was Aaron Zweener, who were members of the Capitol crowd um, on November 7th, um, trying to figure out who the heck just won this seat. Um, but we flipped 12 seats. And that really put a lot of people on notice um, and, and made the Republican leadership, quite frankly, behave themselves for a cycle. <laughs> So during that legislative session, we, we we still passed some bad bills, but most weren't horrifyingly bad like this past session. And we and we put more money into public education. Mm -hmm. So it was a relatively gentle session. We go into 2020. There were a lot of hopes about what might happen in the legislature, but we ended up with a net in the Texas House and just picking up an expected gain in the Senate. Um, and it turned into Republicans assuming they were invulnerable and that they needed to go perform for their primary. Now, I wanna be really clear, people are acting like Democrats just got like wiped out in 2020, and that's not true. We still had the closest presidential margin in my lifetime. You know? right. I, I mean, we still had this incredibly close presidential margin, five and a half percent. For reference, Hillary's margin in 2016 was nine. So mm -hmm. we're getting there, we are making progress. But we went into the session with Republicans not feeling very afraid of Democrats, rightly or wrongly. And that means that they all jumped off a cliff together and they're all very scared of their primary opponents. And it really sort of ties back into what we were talking about earlier. We're not going to see real change in Texas until Democrats win a statewide seat. Agreed. And I'm so glad that you made this point about that. 2020 wasn't the worst thing that's happened to us, that we did move the ball forward because I, I do feel like a lot of people have felt so downtrodden. But the energy that I'm feeling in working and organizing in this state is the same type of energy I felt in 2017 after Trump was elected. People were so angry and ready to get involved. And that's how people feel about Greg Abbott right now. And working with parents over the masking issue and advocating for masks in our schools and doing all that work, I saw people come to the table that we haven't seen in a really long time with a fire in their belly to make a difference. And so I really think that, you know, going into 2022, we're going to see a stronger drive for people to engage um, and, and work for those statewide races rather than just giving up. Like we saw in 2018. I mean, what do you think about that? Are you? Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a real opportunity. Now, I think we have to do the work to build it. And if we don't 100%. do the work to build it, it won't be there. But um, one thing I find really interesting is, you know, before now, Governor Abbott has kind of been Teflon. You know, he stands close enough to Dan Patrick and Ken Paxton that he looks mm -hmm. moderate, even though Abbott is, you know, far to the right of Rick Perry or George W. Bush or other recent Republican governors. Um, but that mask has kind of been pulled off around COVID and um, the abortion bill and permitless carry. So I think people are sort of seeing the true Governor Abbott now. Um, my kid just tried to shake a can of nails. 
um, which I think would be slightly disruptive to this. Um, sorry, you see me desperately reaching. Uh, but no, I, I there was a look of panic on your face for one second. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Munchkin, will you go stack your blocks? Or go make me a tomato with the Legos. Go make me a tomato. Sorry, y'all. Um, I apologize. I totally get it. Um, but I, I think the mask has kind of been pulled off. I've seen the same energy around parents that you have. And actually, it's one of the takeaways I think is really interesting from Virginia is so much of what drove the swing to um, Yunkin was parental frustration around kids not going back to school. But right. that was in a state where they were wearing masks in the schools and people felt much safer and they had much lower COVID rates. Here, the parental energy I see is absolute fury at how few tools the schools were given to be able to keep their kids safe. Um, so I, we might actually have the ingredients to do the exact reverse of what happened in Virginia from the same group of really frustrated people. Exactly. And Texas Tribune released a poll just yesterday. No, today. Today or yesterday. I don't know. Time is fluid. Um, but they released a poll showing 57% of Texans support masking in public spaces, including schools. I did see that yesterday. And, and that circles us back to when we're talking to voters and talking about the things that are down ballot and the policies that matter to them, right? That's what's bringing these parents out. And we have to continue to engage those people on those issues. And that's what's going to flip the top of the ballot, you know, in my opinion. And so... Um, I, I'm excited to hear that, that you feel the same way. And I, I do think that some of these school board issues are really going to be sort of the battleground this year um, of, of, you know, turnout. Um, and so I, you know, am so thankful to have you here today. I feel like I could talk to you all day long, but um, I promise you it would be 30 minutes. So I hope we can get together again, expand on this conversation, see what things are looking like maybe, you know, in six months from now. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being here today. And of course, I want to thank Progress Texas for hosting us. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, Representative Sweener, and, you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you do this year. Of course. Thank y'all for having me and thank y'all for your patience with all of the toddler noise. Oh, no worries. Time. We totally get it. I'm a mom myself. I know how it goes. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Texas Blue Action Podcast, a production in affiliation with Progress Texas. Texas Blue Action is founded on progressive grassroots action, focused on year-round neighborhood organizing and committed to building sustainable democratic infrastructure in Texas. We turn out the voters that the Texas GOP fears the most. Production by me, Chris Mosier. Theme music generously provided by James McMurtry. Join Texas Blue Action at blueactiondems.com and also on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week.